All right, we're live. Welcome to another episode of Elevate Your Grind, brought to you by the Cannabis Lab. As always, I am your host, Todd Rosales. Well, folks, my shirt says it's a good day to move. We'll figure out why I'm wearing this shirt in just a second. I'm sure you can figure it out based on the swag that's on the desk. But, you know, I always like to pretend that you don't know who's going to be on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, this podcast was brought to you by Dominion AG. Dominion AG was formed as a, divi a division of Dominion Builders in response to the need within a growing industry for a professional organization to effectively integrate the planning, design, and construction of agricultural growing facilities. Dominion AG is led by a team of executives with more than 40 years of experience in development and construction, along with expertise in the planning, design, and construction of large-scale greenhouses, hydroponic, and hydroponic farms. Dominion AG is an assemblage of development, design, horticultural, and construction professionals with the knowledge and expertise required to efficiently translate the requirements of our clients from concept to harvest. Dominion AG provides program management services required to lead our clients through government application processes, project schedule, and budget approvals, evaluation of growing systems, facility design and regulatory approvals, vendor selections, construction, and commissioning. If you're in the cannabis space, if you're one of the operating companies, if you're in the hemp space and you need help with your construction, reach out to Dominion AG. You can find them on the web at dominionag.com. That is dominionag.com. Also, tomorrow, 4.20 p.m., we are going to have our panel on insurance in the cannabis space. Folks, I tell you over and over again, cannabis industry is a professional industry just like anything else. We talked to you about our friends at Seat to Sale Insurance previously. They're going to be anchoring that panel tomorrow at 4.20 p.m. You want to check that out, www.joinclab.com. If you want to come for free, register as my guest, Todd Rosales. And we'll let you in. Check out what C-Lab is all about. That's where I get most of my guests from, folks. Our own little uh, organization down here in Florida. All right. Getting into it. My guest today has been in the cannabis industry for a very long time, and I'll let him get into it. He is part of one of the fastest growing cannabis, or we'll call it medical marijuana treatment center organizations here in the state of Florida. Not only that, his name is also Todd, and he is a graduate of the Florida State University. Couldn't be happier to have somebody who has my stats, but is doing a much better job with them. Please welcome my guest, Todd Beckwith. Todd, thanks for joining. Oh, thanks so much for having me on, Todd. It's a pleasure. No, it is an absolute pleasure to have and you. So I see, what's that? And go Knowles. Go Knowles. I, I love the fact that I have someone named Todd from Florida State on the show. I feel like I'm talking to a better version of myself here. So um, I, let's, let's get into your reputation here, man. So you are, you are the Director of Corporate Affairs at AltMed, which operates as Move in the state. And if I remember correctly from our conversation, you were employee number one outside of the, the ownership or in the top 10? First wave of employees at AltMed Enterprises. I was brought on, uh, I was the original marketing director. Uh, my first day at work, I sat down uh, with one of our PhD chemists and you know, there was a business plan, but we looked at a yellow legal pad that was blank and we're like, so what products should we make and what should our dispensaries look like? And at that point, we never had a license so we were a Florida-based company hoping an Amendment 2 would pass and we'd get a license. And when Amendment 2 had 59% approval but needed the supermajority of 60% and failed, 
we kind of looked around the office and said, well, shoot, <laughs> now what do you do if you're a medical cannabis company and there's no medical cannabis program in your state? Uh, and we were fortunate that time we had an opportunity to get licensed in Arizona. So what we did is we literally just flipped our business model and business plan, went out to Arizona. A number of our team, you know, is committed as they are, packed up and went out to Arizona, including our co-founder, and started our business in Arizona, introduced the Move brand of products and started our R&D approach of, you know, constantly evolving our products, uh, improving them, getting market feedback, and started in Arizona. Uh, when we started, Very cool. Yeah, in Arizona, when we started, we didn't have a dispensary. It's a different structure. So the only thing we were doing was wholesale uh, in that market. And uh, early on, there was a, a annual competition for concentrates out there called the Earl Cup. And we decided to enter our concentrates in you know, this you know, Earl Cup, uh, knowing full well we were the new kids on the block, uh, lots of entrenched, uh, you know, leaders in the industry, you know, sometimes, believe it or not, these things are somewhat political and who wins them. Uh, and we ended up winning uh, several awards for our shatter and crumble. And that really kind of kicked off our business in Arizona. Uh, fast forwarding, you know, on our Arizona model, we then uh, had the chance to get a dispensary. And now uh, we're sitting here today, our tiny little 1500 square foot move dispensary in cave creek north phoenix is probably one of the highest volume uh, dispensaries in the whole state uh, out of a tiny little 1500 foot space and we actually just bought the bank building uh across the street from us so we'll be opening up a much larger dispensary to accommodate our business growth there um, fast forwarding uh to after amendment two passed uh we had the opportunity uh to form a partnership with plants of ruskin uh, who were awarded a license here in Florida. And we had met with a number of the different license holders who were interested in you know, working with us in some capacity and certainly having our move brand of products that had already been established. Uh, but when we met you know, John Tipton and the Dickman family, uh, it, it was like you know, one plus one equals three. Uh, Dickman family had over 100 years of agricultural experience here in the state of Florida. Uh, big supporters of the University of Florida and the Agriculture Research Department and Plant Science Departments there. Uh, and they, you know, like us, shared the values of doing things the right way, really investing in high-end facilities and, you know, had a long-term vision for the market. Uh, so that's where we are today. Uh, this year has been a fabulous one for us. We started the year with 11 move dispensaries in Florida. Uh, we added 12 in the first six months this year. Uh, we had a spell in January to kick it off where I'm pretty sure we're the only company in the cannabis industry that opened three dispensaries in a 24-hour period <laughs> uh, just to see if we could do it. Uh, but again, we can't control a lot of the timelines. We're a highly regulated industry from the zoning and permitting and you know, inspections by Department of Health. A lot of those things are really out of our control. Uh, so now we have 23 locations open. Uh, if you read the OMMU reports that come out every uh, every week on Friday night, for the last two weeks, we're now number two in total market share in Florida. And uh, by the end of the year, we're going to have over 30 dispensaries open, starting with West Palm Beef here in the next couple of weeks. Very cool. I'm extremely excited for the West Palm Beach location to open up. Very close to me, even though I, uh, I am a newfound 
customer of the Wellington location, which is right down the street for me, and maybe I shouldn't be putting my location out on the internet for everybody, but I'm going to dub you guys the unofficial uh, cannabis company of spring training because you're in both Arizona and Florida, and it just makes sense to me. I think, you know, the way that you guys opened up, having, having just a cultivation facility out in Arizona doing wholesale you know, when you listen to a lot of the, the experts and the financial people, they say that cultivation is one of the worst businesses to get into. But I think looking at how you started having cultivation and knowing that your company is not so much agricultural as it really is scientific, right? You guys are big on R&D and research and coming out with new products. You have patents that we can talk about as well. I feel as if the fact that you were able to start with a grow facility get your R&D going, figure out the type of products that you wanted to make, and then moving into Florida, which is a vertically integrated market, it almost gave you a head start when you planted your flag in Florida because you're like, we know what we're going to put out into the market. We have a little bit of experience in retail now. Now we know how to really implement this model based on the scars we have on our back in Arizona. Would you say that that was an advantage for you? Oh, absolutely. And uh, one part I don't want to overlook because it is probably the most important aspect of being in the medical cannabis uh, industry is your genetics and cultivation program. And that's something, again, that is an ongoing uh, process, continuous improvement. Uh, Mitch Tipton leads our grow team. Uh, we've you know, added a whole bunch of new uh, grow rooms and flower rooms in our expansion. Uh, but cult it all starts and ends with cultivation. You know, you're not going to make good concentrates you know, if you have poor flower going in. You're not going to have you know, good products if you have, you know, poor products, you know, as input. Uh, so you're only as good as your cultivation, your genetics program. And, uh, you know, we invested heavily. Uh, we have a state-of-the-art indoor cultivation facility. Uh, certainly uh, cost a lot more, a lot bigger capital investment to do an indoor facility at the way we have done it. Uh, but again, we have a long-term horizon for the industry and felt that was the best way to go, especially in Florida. Uh, which is a very difficult climate uh, to cultivate cannabis. Uh, there's, you know, it's a rainforest here. It's super humid, tons of pests, uh, and uh, a lot of risks to your business. Yeah. So on that note, I have a question on that, right? So, you know, we're, we're all friends. It's a very small industry. When I had Brady Cobb on on Friday, someone commented on his, on on the post that we did. And I take this as a stab at everybody in Florida, not just to one plant. They said, good luck competing when interstate commerce opens up. California is going to take over the country. There's no chance that cannabis companies in Florida are going to succeed. And it's all about the terrier, which is, I had to Google because I'm not the smartest person in the world, but essentially the climate in which they used to grow uh, wine grapes, right? So on that note, you guys invested heavily in an indoor facility. Is this what you're also doing in Arizona? And what do you, would, I'm assuming you're going to disagree with that statement. Uh, yes, we have an indoor facility in Arizona as well. Um, and there's all ranges of cannabis, uh, should interstate commerce come into play, uh, where I think that will really, and this is my personal opinion, uh, change the industry is I see, think you'll see huge vertical integration because, uh, that will cost, uh, a lot of people to, produce a lot of cannabis in order to be competitive. And you'll see a lot of the smaller companies, you know, fall by the wayside as a result. And we're already seeing a lot of that vertical in 
you know, integration in the industry. Mm -hmm. uh, but interstate commerce would certainly just accelerate that, in my opinion. Well, I'm uh, I'm definitely on Team Florida, and I'm very proud of our cannabis companies here in Florida. Um, I love exploring all of them, and obviously having them on the show and having them part of C Lab. So, for some reason, you guys didn't realize that there was a pandemic going on, and you doubled the size of your retail location, which should be impossible by pandemic standards, right? Um, but it's incredible. They, you were deemed essential. You opened, I think you said, twelve or thirteen stores, and then before the pandemic hit, you open three stores in 24 hours. Why would you do that to yourself? Because you had to go from Tallahassee to Lutz to Sebastian within 24 hours to do three openings. That's not an easy drive. Um, but yet, yet we have patients that come to all of our openings and obviously with HIPAA, I'm not going to name names. There was mm -hmm. several gentlemen who attended all three openings literally crisscrossed the state to attend all of the openings. So that was pretty amazing. Uh, and COVID certainly has been a huge challenge for everyone. Uh, the big tipping point, obviously, was, you know, are we going to be deemed essential? You know, we're one of the largest privately owned cannabis companies in the country, and any federal stimulus doesn't apply to cannabis. So we spent many long nights working on contingency plans of what if. What if, you know, we have 500 employees and we're not allowed to operate for months at a time? What, you know, what are we going to do? Um, fortunately, we were deemed essential and we, uh, again, made all kinds of contingency plans where all of our teams uh, were broken up into A teams and B teams and A shifts and B shifts from the cultivation uh, to retail so that, you know, heaven forbid anyone would test positive, we could pull a whole team and not, you know, stop operations our ownership literally put a convenience store inside the cultivation and manufacturing facility and brought lunch in for everyone, uh, you know, during the, peak of the cool. pandemic. So again, we're taking these steps, not only, you know, to take care of our staff, uh, but then, you know, making all the changes to our dispensaries, pulling displays down, putting up protective, uh, you know, shields in the retail. Um, we had to close half the registers in high volume stores to make sure we were social distancing, obviously PPE. So, you know, everyone's dealing with the same challenges. We are in this together, uh, but it's really shown, I think, you know, during times of crisis, it really brings out the best in your teams. And I really am proud of how our teams adapted. No, and, and I can make that joke because I think, uh, I don't remember how far into the pandemic, but so I know the last time that I socialed the last time I really went out in public was March 12th. It was a panel that I hosted for C-Lab. And I want to say about a week after we had the honor of having Mike Smolin on the show before we set up this beautiful studio in my home. And you were looking at me at my desk in the corner of my office. But, you know, I remember you guys were one of the first people to jump in and get, you know, plexiglass dividers up in, in the dispensaries and the amount of precautions that Mike was telling us that you guys were doing. And this was only a few days before it was officially announced a, a pandemic. So I, I commend you guys for doing that because I know that Altmed truly takes a medical approach in, in the definition of what our industry is to this industry. That makes sense, right? Industry, industry, whatever. Um, sorry, I'm not the, the brightest person here, but I love that you guys, you know, you. I think you and I talked about this on our pre-call, but there's a legacy cannabis industry in the form of flour, but Altmed focuses on concentrates. And now you guys have your capsules that you have a patent on, not only here, but in Europe as well. How much effort do you guys put into R&D and coming up with these new products 
as I would say, to bring the general public into the cannabis space. Because when you look at cannabis, getting people to try cannabis is sale number one, and then getting them to try that in, a, in the traditional format by smoking it is sale number two, because the majority of the public does not smoke. They don't smoke cigarettes or cigars or anything else. So I believe that what you guys are doing is a good way to bring people into our industry. It is. And one of our initial research efforts was in transdermal patches. That was literally our first, you know, foray into medical cannabis. And one of the things we were really big on uh, initially and, and continue to be was how to give new delivery methods where especially new patients who are cannabis naive uh, can measure their dose and get controlled dosing and uh, understand you know, what the right amount of what product and what formulation is appropriate for them. Uh, during COVID, uh, timing just happened to be perfect. Uh, we launched a partnership with Strain Print, which is a super slick app. So people were being told, stay at home, stay at home, you know, self-quarantine. Uh, now we had an app that we started letting our patients download for free, and it allowed them to select the specific product they're taking and what uh, condition they were looking to uh, treat. And based on the product and the delivery time and effectiveness, people would literally enter in how effective the product is. And it turned into something where they could not only help themselves by seeing macro data of what did other people use to treat the same condition, but they were also helping other patients to see. And we've started getting some of that data back and it's you know not an official clinical trial, but it's certainly based on 6,000 plus patient uh, sessions. And what we found out is our Move uh, Pure Sativa Pen, 75% uh, of patients found it highly effective for anxiety and depression. Uh, isn't anyone dealing with anxiety and depression right now? Uh, it's not even a laughing matter. And then 85% uh, said that our Move Pure Indica pen would help with sleep and insomnia. So we're starting to get this clinical data now uh, from patients where we can share it not only with other patients, but help educate the certifying physicians and our staff to you know, help make better recommendations for patients. So I, I love that because I think that just kind of shows your dedication to the medical side where, you know, it's a schedule one drug, so we can't have true clinical trials or anything else. And you guys, I love seeing the entrepreneurial spirit here. Okay, well, we have a little bit of a workaround where we can at least get some data from our patients. And so tell us about, so the app is called Strain Print. Is this something that we can download from the the app stores on Apple and, and, and whatever, Android, or can... Best thing to do would be go to our website, movefl, M-U-V-F-L.com uh, for more information and uh, free downloads of the Strain Print app. Very cool. That's something that I definitely want to check out because to me, you're right, that's the closest thing that there is to a true clinical trial of products. And that's something that's extremely needed, um, not only for the industry, but just in this country. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I would love to see government officials knocking on your door to say, hey, Todd, can we, can we get a copy of your data there? We, we really want to put some, some research behind this. That'd be really cool. Well, and as you know, the, you know, the research aspect is a big challenge. Uh, I've been very fortunate to work closely with Dr. Sue Sisley out in Arizona. Uh, Dr. Sisley spent years uh, trying to get approval to do clinical trials. And when she finally, after years, got approval, she shares the story that the only product she could use in her trials was from NIDA, University of Mississippi. And she showed they literally took 
really, really low-end cannabis and literally ground up the whole plant, sticks, stems, seeds, the whole thing. And that was her trial product. So the pr trial was basically jaded and, you know, from the get-go. Uh, but I have had the pleasure with her to, you know, go do some education seminars in Arizona. Uh, and one of the most moving moments in my cannabis career, we're at this place called Pebble Creek. It's a huge master plan community in Arizona, uh, very similar to Florida. And in this community, they have this huge theater for all of the residents. And we did an educational seminar. She spoke on the science and I spoke about products and delivery methods. Uh, and afterwards, this little old lady, maybe four foot 11 in her 80s, came up to me with tears in her eyes and started hugging me. And she reaches in her purse and pulls out her vape pen. And she says, I was afraid to tell my neighbors I use medical cannabis. Uh, thank you for coming, wow. putting a professional face on this. And sure enough, four or five other residents came forward too, and they set up a coffee hour uh, once a week at the clubhouse where they would talk about cannabis. Uh, anyone who wanted to get more information, they would be peers to them and actually go with them once they got their medical card to go to a dispensary the first time, because it can be super overwhelming, especially for someone who's you know totally naive. Yeah. I, I love that she commended how professional you are because that's a big reason why I started this podcast was to show the professional side of this industry and just the professional side of this plant in general. I, I think it's unfortunate that sometimes it takes a tragedy to get people to open their eyes to, to cannabis and, it, and open their eyes to our industry. And I don't want people to have to suffer a tragedy to, to get here. I would love I'd love to be able to educate them. And that's, again, why I do this show. It's funny to me, the stigma is still everywhere. And I have friends that are cannabis users and I'll try to talk to them about it because shit, I have an internet show about it. And they're hesitant. And all of a sudden they'll hesitate and then they'll change the topic to how much they drank this weekend. And I'm like, well, you have no problem talking about that. But because cannabis has the stigma behind it, you're uneasy about it. That's something to me that's in the industry is foreign um, I'm sure that's something that you deal with regularly. I mean, I read articles and to me, unless they're cannabis specific writers, a lot of them still write. I, I read about a couple of your, your dispensary openings. They write from a, a I'll call it stigmatic. I don't even know it's a word, but a stigmatic viewpoint where like, you'll never believe this, or I never thought I'd see the day or anything else when it's instead of finally, we have a natural medicine for people. I'd love to hear your opinion on, on the stigma and how we fight it. Well, again, it's something that's really part of our mission is to bring cannabis out of the shadows and put it in the spotlight. Uh, to do so, you have to be somewhat transparent about how you operate, who you are, uh, and put yourself out there. And you have to be super passionate. Uh, we like to say cannabis ears are like dog ears. <laughs> um, everything we do in this industry is three steps forward, two steps back. And if you're not in it for the right reason and don't have the passion, you're going to get frustrated, burned out and get out of the industry to your point, because there's still stigmas out there and you can't just tell people you have to show people and you have to do it over and over and over again till they realize you're, you know, you're preaching what you really act. Yeah. And I, I, I will continue to quote Carson Humiston on this show. She goes, these aren't bankers. The people in this industry are here because they love it and they're passionate. And that's my favorite part of the industry. And, you know, reading a little bit more about you, if I'm correct, you know, it was not a massive tragedy, but you had a bad accident that actually led to, you know, you wanting to get more involved in this industry that left you in, with a lot of neck and back pain. 
Yeah. Um, I used to look like Brad Pitt before the accident. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no one believes me. Uh, no, I did have a severe car accident. I rolled a sports car doing a high rate of speed and uh, ended up upside down with the roof collapsed on my head. And uh, uh, fortunately, you know, through God's grace, could walk away from it somehow. Uh, was taken by ambulance to the hospital. They never told me I was covered in blood and asked the nurse if I could get up out of the wheelchair to use the restroom, walked in the restroom and I looked like something out of a horror movie. Uh, and I'm really squ squeamish about blood. So I almost passed out right there. Long story short, I was, I was fine, uh, but had, you know, ongoing chronic neck and back pain uh, that sometimes was debilitating. And the usual course of action is they started giving me painkillers. And uh, I realized after about two months, uh, having them, you know, give me a hundred hydrocodones a month isn't a sustainable business model uh, and isn't yeah. a solution. And there had to be something better. And uh, I had been, you know, a cannabis enthusiast uh, for many years and I had used it, you know, quote unquote, recreationally and realized there was a medical benefit and actually Northern Lights in particular was a strain that was really helping me at that time. And that just kind of started my passion to look more into the medical side and the benefits that, you know, this plant can bring. And that could have gone in another direction, not saying that it would have, but giving you those that much, you know, that many painkillers a month or and continuing on that path could have led you to a bad addiction. And, you know, you wouldn't be at the level where you are right now sitting in this beautiful office. Oh, no, I, I'm glad I had the self-awareness to realize that, that it wasn't something that was a long-term solution. And I had to look at other things and uh, cannabis was one of them. And it was also, a, you know, a series of other things. It was, you know, uh, getting the right physical therapy, doing the right, you know, exercise and, you know, taking care of one's overall health. And certainly cannabis is a part of that. I think it's really interesting. You know, you kind of mentioned you'd been an enthusiast for a while. You had used it recreationally. And we had a little conversation before the show. I said that I've been, you know, an enthusiast since for the past 10, 11, 12 years as well. And I had mentioned to you when it be, when I had my first legal experiences, when I really started diving into it. And I think it's interesting for all of us who are quote enthusiasts or, or recreational users, when you have that experience in a legal market, you go from being a recreational user and sometimes really figure out how to become a wellness user. Um, and I think that just stays on the point of education, right? Do you see that trend for people who might be coming in for, Hey, what's your highest THC flower? I want to get it. And then all of a sudden they start looking at your stuff. It's like, you know, that might help me with this or that might help me with that. Is that something that you guys see often? Well, the thing that I, I've seen is a lot of reports that people who are becoming patients, classified themselves as recreational users when in reality when they asked them you know what were you using it for well i was using it for anxiety i was using it for sleep i was using it for chronic pain uh, and i also liked the effect so a lot yeah. of these people were using it medically but not deeming it or classifying it as medical use and now you know clearly classified it for you know the medical benefit they're getting uh, but you brought up another really interesting point you know uh, putting oneself out there and admitting their cannabis use, you know, is, is, is risky. Uh, and what we found in the industry in the early days was you had people who came in and they were real successful business people had zero cannabis experience. Oh, I built a company that made millions of dollars making widgets. I can, you know, win in the cannabis industry and they failed. 
Then you saw a lot yeah. of the people who were, you know, the black market people who now had a legitimate opportunity, uh, but they were either undercapitalized, didn't know how to scale a business, uh, didn't have the business knowledge, and they failed. And that's one of the things I think is a real critical success factor is, you know, having people who have the cannabis knowledge and the business knowledge and putting them together with the passion and drive to, you know, really accomplish our mission. And I think that leads to the perfect formula of a company. I'm really excited to watch this next wave of, of cannabis because, you know, listen, we don't need to call anybody out by name, but the people who came out as the early leaders as the household names are struggling, right? And maybe they grew too big, too fast. I'm certainly not going to speculate on why these things are happening. There are smarter people than me doing that. But I always had an affinity for the companies like you that started in one state, figured out how to do it well, focused on that state. Then they moved into another state, focused on that state, figured out how to do it well. And I'm sure Florida is not the end-all be-all for you, and you don't have to reveal those plans. But I really respect the companies in this space that didn't try to spend and grow like Uber and Facebook, where they spent and grow like a true startup and a small business and bootstrapped it. Because yes, in the early part of cannabis, Funding seems to be plentiful, but that has since run out. And, you know, you guys are subject to some ridiculous restrictions between 280E tax regulations and the amount of, of, I don't know if it's sales tax or income tax or whatever you guys have to pay, but I'm sure it's very challenging to operate a cannabis business, not having the full advantages of a general business. Well, of, of course, things like 280E are a big challenge. And I think you made a good point. We're really a David and Goliath story. You, uh, privately owned, we bootstrapped it. We were a startup company. You know, when I started with the company, I mentioned I was the original marketing director. You know, I was changing the light bulbs in the office, doing social media, you know, doing events, doing everything. And that kind of entrepreneurial spirit carried through our whole organization. Uh, and as we grew, you know, we didn't get over our skis, as people like to say. Uh, and we had the strategic uh, decision to. Let's get depth in a couple markets we're operating and not worry about chasing license in tons of states. And that turned out to be the right, right approach because, as you know, nothing can go across state lines. And the capital expense of operating and being vertically integrated and cultivating in multiple states is uh, very capital intensive. So getting in Arizona, a very attractive market that is about to go adult use, by the way, and getting in Florida and you know building out our, our business in those two states has uh, really been a, uh, the right approach and doing it very fiscally sound as a privately owned company against you know a lot of publicly traded companies with far more assets than us. It, 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 I think that's awesome. And I'm, I'm really excited to see the names that come out as the household names as we go into the next phase of the cannabis industry. And I think it's going to be, you know, the, the names that bootstrapped and worked hard and built a profitable model. Um, you know, I know as part of your growth within AltMed, you got a lot, you got very involved with some legislation in the state. I don't know how much of that you can share, but talk to us, you can, some of the experiences that you've had working with the legislature here. Yeah, no, um, I do get involved in some capacity uh, with our lobbyists and uh, working on cannabis legislation. Uh, most significantly, two years ago, when the first uh, attempt to put a 10% THC cap on cannabis came about uh, from Ray Rodriguez. And I recall working with you know, a number of our chemists, you know, pulling the research that they were citing as evidence uh, and we pulled an all-nighter and literally wrote an opposition paper 
uh, showing that you know they were cherry picking information and there was no statistically significant uh, evidence in the research they were citing to support it. Uh, and put that position paper with our lobbyist in Tallahassee and uh, took a risk of publicly going out. We were the only MMTC to publicly make a statement at that time. And that's risky to put yourself out like that. But then I also got a call from Courtney Coppola, uh, the head of the OMMU. Uh, when you see your cell phone ring at 7.30 in the morning and it says Courtney Coppola on it, uh, your heart drops. Uh, and she was calling asking, could I please send her a copy of our research and position paper because she wanted to help uh, distribute it uh, in the House and Senate so people had an alternative opinion. And I hope she doesn't mind me sharing this story because I think it's a real compliment to her uh, that she's you know, truly passionate about the industry as well and willing to roll up her sleeves. Yeah, and it, it's, it's incredible how much passion it is all the way up the chain, including the OMMU. And we've actually had the honor of having Commissioner Nikki Fried on the show too. And the passion goes all the way to the top. And I love to hear stories like that, that you can work together with people in the OMMU and people in government. And realistically, behind the scenes, we all kind of help each other, right? Because this industry isn't guaranteed yet. It's still a Schedule One drug. Um, you know, it is, is legal at the state level, but we still, not only are we fighting for our businesses, but we're fighting for the industry as well. You know, I'm sure you can agree with that. Oh, absolutely. There are a lot of shared interests and that's actually one of the things I, I see evolving, especially in Florida now that we're becoming a more mature market and the companies are you know, maturing themselves is finding a way on common issues, whether it be a 10% THC cap or something like reciprocal rights, given you know all the you know tourists and snowbirds we have here, that we can work uh, as a team uh, for the best interest of patients. Because at the end of the day, we have a huge responsibility to serve patients here in Florida, and we're very fortunate. There's only 14 operating MMTCs right now. That's a huge responsibility for us all. And things that are in our mutual interest, I think you know we need to do a better job of uh, collaborating uh, for patients on. Very cool. I, I agree with that. And I, I think it's best in the best interest of the industry, you know, kind of going off on a tangent here, I was looking at my notes that I have and I realized you guys have a dispensary in one of the coolest locations, I think, because I haven't been here in a while and it's going to surprise you, I think, but you have one open in Sebastian, Florida. So for people who don't know about Sebastian, it is an awesome little beach town. I've only been to Captiva Island mostly, but the fact that you have a move there makes me want to go back to the South Seas Plantation, get a nice little rental and spend, you know, a couple socially distant three, four days there as well. Um, that that had to be a really cool location because it, it's a beach town. Well, and if you ask any of my friends from Florida State that were all big surfers, it's also the best surf spot in Florida, allegedly. Really? I wouldn't expect that on the Gulf side. It's uh, one of the best surf spots, yeah. Very, very cool. Um, do you guys have one? I think I saw you had one in Key West, too. Uh, we will be opening one in Key West later this year. Yes, right on Duval Street as part of our uh, 2020 expansion plans. Uh, I just got off before our meeting, uh, a construction meeting we hold every week, uh, updating status and build-out plans. Uh, and that is on the radar for this year and in progress. Change of plans. I'm going to Key West. I'm going to stop and move, and then I will have a nice meal at DJ's Clam Shack. Um, no responsibilities there. Just one of my favorite restaurants in the entire world. So, looking forward to that. I love seeing you guys expand across the state. That's that's awesome. Um, 
I want to, so you guys have heavily expanded in the past year. You've got patents in both our country and in Europe. Is there a plan to expand internationally? And I don't even know how that happens. I'm so focused on, on our country right now. Yeah, um, actually, I can share with you the press releases have not gone out yet, but the contracts are signed. Uh, we are licensing our intellectual property and our move products uh, currently, and we have signed deals in Ohio, in Pennsylvania, and just this past week uh, closed a deal uh, to distribute our patented products in Canada. Uh, and that Very gets cool. even more interesting because our partner in Canada has a, a distribution agreement with the largest uh, pharmacy chain in Canada. So Very uh, cool. That are patented will be available in over 2,000 locations in Canada. And you actually have a pharmacy, uh, pharmaceutical background as well. You came from, if I believe, you came from marketing in the pharmaceutical industry. That's correct. Uh, before I, well, actually, after I graduated from college, I wanted to stay in Florida. As you know, there's not a lot of diversity of economy in Florida. Uh, so I moved back uh, home to uh, suburban Philadelphia and uh, after a few years, I had an opportunity to work with Merck Pharmaceutical and their senior product management team, uh, focusing on new product launches uh, and uh, managing a creative team at uh, J. Walter Thompson, our global ad agency in New York. Uh, and then after a year, 10 years with them, I decided I, I loved Florida. I wanted to be back. I hated cold. Uh, I had moved my parents here after I graduated college. They said, where in Florida should we go? Uh, they wanted to retire. I recommended Sarasota to them. They came here and I would you know, come visit every you know, holiday and finally just said, that's it. I'm going to pack up my car and move to Sarasota and start anew. It's the west coast of Florida, which is actually very nice, nice and quiet, uh, not full of New Yorkers like our side is, but I'm from there, so I can say that. Um, listen, I have to ask, and I don't think the answer is going to be cool as cool as I expect it to, but I've been staring at that fridge behind you for the entire uh -huh. interview. Is there anything cool in there? Or is that just where you keep your lunch? That is actually, from a marketing perspective, my pride and joy. It is called a moverator. It is a, a hydroelectric portable refrigerator to keep concentrates cool. Our wholesale team in Arizona called years ago and said, we have a problem. You know, after we won these awards, people, you know, dispensaries all around the state want to carry our concentrates. Uh, it's pretty darn hot in Arizona. If you're driving a couple hours across the desert, uh, you don't want concentrates, you know, melting. <laughs> uh, so I said, tell me what you need. Give me your wish list. And they said, well, we need a portable refrigerator. It's got to be light enough we can pick up and carry. It has to plug into a car lighter, but then plug into a normal plug. And we also want you to wrap it and brand it for move. Oh, and by the way, the boxes inside have to hold 50 units and be a peel pop top. Uh, and <laughs> So they can just stick it in. I'm like, is that everything? And they're like, yeah. So I started researching, found a thermoelectric refrigerator uh, that met all the criteria, designed the boxes to hold the concentrate pouches, and then found a little company in Idaho that wraps mini refrigerators. So we wrapped them, made a bunch of them, gave them to our wholesale team, Big accounts would, you know, order a couple thousand units. We'd walk in with the refrigerator, plop it right down and merchandise it and plug it in for them. That's really cool. I'm sure you weren't expecting that many requirements when you asked that question. <laughs> it was the last time I asked, tell me everything you want. <laughs> yeah. So, so what's your most affordable option we can provide next time? Um, 
So listen, I, I know we're getting towards the top of the hour here, but I love the fact that, you know, when I read the article, um, and I'm trying to see where I wrote it down here, but you guys talk about the Altmed Florida scientists. You're not calling them growers or anything else. And I love that you call them scientists because I think that our industry is a very scientific one. It's taken agriculture into a new phase. And I believe that you guys have a heavy focus on R&D. We talked about this for the whole show. What is there anything that you guys are working on that we can look forward to, expect, or something that just came out that I might have missed that we can tell everybody about? Because the R&D side of it is extremely interesting to me. Uh, we do have a continuous stream of uh, products in development, testing, uh, but particularly on the genetics and cultivation I mentioned earlier, that, that you know, it all starts there. And we've gone through a huge expansion of our cultivation facility, uh, brought in uh, new team members uh, with huge uh, backgrounds. Uh, and Mitch Tipton and the team have absolutely killed it on our cultivation and pheno hunting and bringing in new genetics. Uh, so as we get into all these new facilities and new dispensaries across the state, uh, we're really going to continuously improve, especially on our flower side, which will lead to improvement in all other you know, products. Well, I'm, I'm definitely going to be someone who's going to benefit from that. I told you before the show, I was able to, to uh, as a patient, get some of the Sour Jack, really enjoyed it. Um, I, I extremely enjoyed it, actually, and I'm looking forward to exploring the rest of your menu. One of the things that you had mentioned when you and I were talking as well that I think is really cool is not only do you have the strain names and everything else that we're all trying to figure out, and I'm wondering which way strain names are going to go in the future, but you also release terpene profiles for your strains as well. I think that's really important as someone who's just starting to educate himself on terpene profiles. Is this something that you really try to educate your patients on? It depends. Patients are all at different levels, but we have this information available uh, from our, you know, our chemists in our lab, you know, where we're doing the high performance liquid chromatography tests and doing the terpene profiles uh, of all of our products. So if someone finds they're getting relief from a specific terpene, they can look at what other products do we have uh, that also have, you know, high abundance of that terpene in it. Uh, it, it's where that industry is going. And uh, we also did a lot of research and are continuing to do research on sesquiterpenes, the lesser terpenes, because cannabis is still highly unknown. We don't know of the hundreds of cannabinoids, you know, active and inactive are certain ones triggers that are making other things work. So uh, it's, you know, it's an ongoing process. You know, I mentioned before the show started, uh, we don't see a finish line. It's just, it's constant improvement and constant self-evaluation as our team to get better. And it involves all aspects, uh, even at the retail side. You know, we engineer our stores to make it the most efficient to hold and move product and check patients out. We're monitoring, you know, how long a wait time they have. Our website has real-time live inventory with potency information of the batch that you're buying. So when you're on movefl.com and you're looking for your sour jack, you know, if you order it, it's going to be in store when you go and pick it up and you know exactly what that batch has in it. Well, when you're me and you're stuck at home, I won't even be going and picking it up because you guys are kind enough to bring it to me. Um, you know, I know that you guys have the integration through Jane, you have your own website and the fact that I can go on your website, place an order and they socially distantly, I think that's a new term, bring it to my house and it is a clean transaction. I could not be happier. So I'm glad that 
there are dispensaries like you in the location in 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 my location i'm very proud to be a move patient here in florida um before we let you go what what else can we educate people on that i have not asked or anything else that we can look forward to Biggest thing, I think, uh, we still have patients, as you know, in a vertical integrated model, you can only buy move products at a move dispensary. And the same is true with the other MMTCs is that our team literally works seven days a week. And by the end of this year, from Pensacola to Jacksonville to Key West, uh, we're expanding our locations to most effectively and efficiently serve patients. And we're looking, like you said, at all aspects of the business, whether it be delivery, uh, live inventory on the website and improving that experience for the patients. Cause at the end of the day, we are in the job of serving patients and take this responsibility really, really heavily. Uh, it, we're, we're honored to be, you know, one of the few companies allowed to operate in Florida and that's a big responsibility. Well, we've now had two of you on the show. We've had Mike on the show. We've had you on the show and it's clear to me how passionate you guys are about this business. I'm excited to continue to watch you grow. And I think when things turn a little bit more back to normal, that you should go for four dispensaries in 24 hours and really challenge yourself. Like start in Pensacola, end up in Miami. Let's do it. <laughs> I, you know what? If you, if you guys do four in 24 hours, I will do my best to have a live show at each opening. I can make that promise to you. Let's call it a challenge and work towards it. Got to set goals. Awesome. Well, Todd, Thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been a pleasure to get to know you. It's been a pleasure to speak with you here on the show. I look forward to having many more conversations with you, and we'll definitely have you back. Well, thank you so much, Todd. Really appreciate it. You all have a great night. Thank you very much. And before we go, guys, we've got one more. This, uh, ooh, good day to move. Look at that pillow. This podcast was brought to you by Ackerman. Uh, Ackerman, the number, as the number of states legalizing cannabis increases, there's a growing disparity between federal and state laws concerning controlled substances, businesses involved in the legal cultivation, processing, and distribution of cannabis, as well as those providing ancillary services face an array of legal issues, including banking, regulatory compliance, branding, and IP, federal taxation, corporate transactions, and dispute resolution. Ackerman's cannabis practice understands the complex legal and business issues impacting companies operating this sector. Um, they're ranked nationally as one of the top firms in cannabis law by Chambers USA, and they're one of the first large law firms in the nation to have a cannabis team in this space. I have a lot of good friends that work for this company, folks. John Robbins, Ari Gersten, Zach Cobrin, just to name a few. They're on the board of C-Lab. If you need some help in the cannabis space, check them out, Ackerman.com. Folks, this has been another episode of Elevate Your Grind, and we're out. <laughs>